You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Diamond Edition. Who the flaming heck would have supposed that this thing would have run to 60 editions? Not I. I I actually set myself a target of 50 episodes, by which time I was absolutely sure that I would have achieved everything I'd set out to achieve. No. No, I say. No, I was actually looking down the old to-do list yesterday and saw that I've hardly made a dent in the old blighter. So I'm afraid you're stuck with me for some time yet. Still, for now, happy 60th to you, everyone, and welcome to Attaboy Clarets. A week of celebrations, in fact. This show hits 60, but other birthdays were happening too. Andrew from Weekly Geekspeak had a birthday, as did the great man himself, James Cagney, who would have been 117. My eldest daughter, Molly Kate, reached the lofty age of 14 years old. And lastly, I myself hit 40 years of age, the great big 4-0. And may I just say thank you to everyone who sent in birthday wishes. So many nice things to say. You're very kind, people. My beautiful wife and children bundled me into a car and took me on an amazing day out for my birthday. had such a great day. My wife actually made me a birthday cake first thing in the morning, bless her heart. There isn't enough to go around, but can I interest you in a cookie? Pancake cookie. Pancake cookie. Pancake baker, you're a famous man. Well, all I do is bake them just as good as a can. What did you seek for Mr. Pancake Man? A sample of them, ladies. One from each pan. Shoving, stop shoving. There's more in the oven. Hey, Mom! Put patty cake cookies on your shopping list. Oatmeal, chocolate chip, and sugar mix. I'm seeing varieties on your market shelf. Why, wow, they're so good, you're lucky I don't eat them all myself. Patty cake cookies. Patty cake cookies. I love the way he's just run out of lyrics here. Nope, he's got nothing. Oh, here he comes again. Blue cellophane package, you can see what's in pie. What makes the taste of good patty cake? Well, to tell the truth, I sample them two from each pan. That was totally worth the effort. My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. My sister thanks you. And I assure you, I thank you. First thank you of the week goes to Venus Crofts, who sent a very eloquent and very heartfelt message on Twitter in the past fortnight. Thank you so much. Please accept a Canterbury. Canterbury. Next up to Mr. Mark Gatiss, who despite being one of the most busy men in the entertainment world, has agreed to be a part of the next Secret History of Hollywood series, news of which will be coming soon, I might add. Sir, you get a Draculanterbury. Listen to them. Children of the night, 
What? Canterbury. They make. And finally, a special thanks to the Pod Pals, that ragtag band of podcasters of who I am proud to be a part, and who all seem to be rising like a gang of phoenixes is, 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 at the moment. Anywhere but here and Weekly Geek Speak still holding the fort and shipped high in transit aback, as are the JT Movie Boys with a new show in August called Closer to Midnight. Rumours prevail about new shows from both Stephen and Smokey from HOM, albeit separately now, having gone their separate ways. Having broken up the supergroup, which of them will turn out to be the Plastic Ono Band? And which will turn out to be Wings? That is the question on everyone's lips. Aside from that, all we need now are new shows from Nerd Church and Stinking Paws, and a few more emails from Robbie Perfreakin'Lanko, and the world will once again live in peace. You all get the Canterbury Firing Squad. Extra, extra, extra good news. The makers of Jell-O have discovered a way to give you rich, luscious chocolate pudding far more easily and far more economically than ever before. Do tell. With the new Jell-O chocolate pudding powder, you can make old-fashioned pudding, smooth, creamy, and chocolatey, just like the ones grandmother used to make back in the good old days. Shut up! Now you can have them again, and this is all you have to do. Just combine the contents of a package of Jell-O chocolate pudding with some milk in the top of your double boiler, letting it cook until it becomes smooth and thick. When the mixture has cooled, serve it in sherbet glasses. You'll have enough for six helpings. And that means six happy people. Jell-O chocolate pudding is so simple, so inexpensive, and so downright delicious that you mustn't delay trying it. Ask your grocer for Jell-O chocolate pudding, and if he hasn't put it in stock yet, be sure he orders it for you. You may need to hold him at gunpoint. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. Question pot time, then. First question this week is from Lauren, who writes, If you were given the opportunity to work for one movie studio during the golden age of Hollywood, which would it be and what profession at that studio would you choose to have? Good question. I'm actually rather torn here. I would either like to be a scriptwriter at Universal or James Cagney's chauffeur over at Warner Brothers. So on one hand, you would get to write all those Sherlock Holmes films or horror movies for the Lemleys at Universal. Or you'd be the guy who got to drive Jimmy Cagney home every night and hear about what had happened that day. Knowing Cagney, you'd probably get invited in for a beer when you dropped him at home, too. Although, saying that, part of me also wants to work for Columbia as Rita Hayworth's evening gown. Second question is from Nick Vickery Brown, who writes, Where, oh where, can I see a proper classic, not 1980s film on the big screen? I would love to see The Public Enemy, amongst others, as it was meant to be seen. Well, Nick, I know for a fact that you're in the UK, and unfortunately for us here in the UK, the cinema of the Golden Age is mostly neglected when it comes to cinema appearances. There is some stellar work being done by the likes of the BFI and Rochester Kino, but in all honesty, if you're not a resident of London town or its surrounding areas, it's extremely difficult to see Golden Age movies on the big screen. I therefore put out an appeal... If you are showing old movies in cinemas or know of anyone who is, do let me know and let's get the word out there. Maybe we should all arrange something. If all else fails, you can all come to my house and watch The Public Enemy on my projector. My wife will be so pleased I just said that. Last question comes from Tara, who writes, I am currently a patron but would like to give you even more money. 
What I'd like to know is how much for an autographed picture of Suki, if you please. Well, forget the money. It was my pleasure to send to Tara an autographed picture of Suki, and I love her response, which read, Oh, this is the best, the very best. I have forwarded this magical photo to my sister, another fan of Suki, who replied, and I quote, this is my new everything. I wish I was your everything I do. I would give all that I own for this to take place. You you do mean a great deal to me, Suki. Do I still mean a great deal to you when I go to the toilet in your garden? No, no, you don't mean a great deal to me when you do that. Hey, if that lady wants another picture, then I have a good idea I do. If I turn around like this and then look back over my shoulder... And kind of squint right. a little bit. Yes. It's my smouldering look, that is. It's, uh, yeah, it's very smouldering, yes. I call it smouldering doggy style. R right. Okay. Or very hot doggy style. Right. I, I haven't quite decided yet. Yes, right. I might Google it to see if anyone else is using that term. No, no, don't, 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 don't Google that. I guarantee that someone else is using that term. Why must you destroy my dreams? Why must you destroy my garden? Touché. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinky cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. So as I mentioned last week, Olivia de Havilland has reached the age of 100. Can you believe it? She is still with us. That glorious link to the past is at the time of writing this, darting around her Paris apartment, still as feisty as ever. Well, to celebrate the centenary of the Grand Dame of the Golden Age, I thought I'd direct your attention to a trio of her films that sometimes tend to fly under the radar. <laughs> First up, a rather startling performance, or should I say pair of performances, from Mr. Havilland in Robert Siodmak's 1946 thriller, The Dark Mirror. Very interesting film, and despite the fact that I've seen it countless times, a film that always manages to capture my complete attention. The film begins with the murder of Dr. Peralta, who is horribly stabbed in his apartment by an unseen hand. Well, as the investigation plays out, it seems as though the murderer may be the girl who works in the lobby of a nearby hotel. But when Lieutenant Stevenson interrogates her, he finds her alibi to be watertight. You mean with two witnesses who saw a smack at the place? Against three who saw a smack away from it. Four smacking miles away from it. I saw them. Three solid, tax-paying, God-fearing citizens. Who know her and talk to her all over Jefferson Park last night. 9 o'clock till 11.35. Well, what do you know about that? I don't get it. I just don't get it. Don't make any more sense to me than Chinese music. So how could this girl be the girl who was seen with Dr. Peralta that night? The answer soon becomes clear, because this girl has a twin, and both of them would do anything to protect the other, including keeping silent about which of them was where that evening. Which one of you stayed home here last night? One of us spent the evening in Jefferson Park, and the other... But what one did which is what I'm asking. Which one did which? Okay. I'll just have to run you both in. Are you allowed to play the field like that? What do you mean? Can you throw any number of people you want to into court and tell the judge to take his pick? I'm afraid you're going to look awfully funny explaining that even to a lawyer. What lawyer? The one that's coming straight to the police station if we're not here to answer the phone any time tonight. Pretty smart, aren't you? Not done. 
Well, listen to this. Did you ever hear of a little charge called obstructing justice? Yes. Then would you like to reconsider? Me or her? That's right, because neither of them will admit who was with the doctor and who was out in the park. The police find themselves helpless to prosecute. Step up ace psychiatrist Dr. Scott Elliott, who agrees to study both girls to determine which of them is capable of murder. But as he grows closer to one of them, is he risking the murderous wrath of the other? Or is it the other way around? So this film has a very fine pedigree, it having been written by Nunnally Johnson, who also wrote The Woman in the Window, an absolutely superb thriller that I told you about all the way back in episode 17 by Craigie, 43 episodes ago. Well, this film is definitely the heir to that movie. You have the same tar-black noir, the same intriguing mystery, and a very similar ending in that all seems lost, only for the rug to be pulled out from under everyone. Thomas Mitchell as Lieutenant Stevenson is absolutely terrific, as is Lou Ayres as a rather believable psychiatrist. I guess he'd had a lot of practice as playing heroic doctors, having played Dr. Kildare for so long. He is way too old to be playing the love interest, though it has to be said. He looks more like Olivia de Havilland's dad in this. And as for Olivia de Havilland, she is sensational in this. There are times when she's playing both twins on screen at the same time, and they're both sat there doing completely nothing. But you can somehow see kindness in one of them and scheming in the other. She seems to be able to communicate the essence of their beings through nothing more than her eyes, or by a smile, or in the way that she moves. It's an incredible pair of nuanced performances. Wait till you see it. She was apparently experimenting with method acting at the time, and when filming began, she insisted that everyone visit a real psychiatrist in order to get into their roles. Well, who knows if that contributed to the finished film in any real sense, but if spending an hour or two in the chair resulted in her performance here, then I think there really may have been something to this method acting thing, because she's out of this world. Odd, really, that she should have starred in a film that pitted two very different sisters against each other, seeing as the rivalry between her and her sister Joan Fontaine has become the stuff of legend. All women are rivals fundamentally, but it never bothers them because they automatically discount the successes of others and alibi their own failures on the grounds of circumstances. Luck, they say. But between sisters, it's a little more serious. The circumstances are generally about the same, so they have fewer excuses with which to comfort themselves. That's why sisters can hate each other with such terrifying intensity. Well, here's an odd way of doing things. Usually on this show, I tell you all about a film, and then I present a radio version of that film. Well, what do you know about this? A complete reversal. Weirdly, I just told you about episode 17. Well, cast your minds back to it again. And you may recall that the radio play that week was called Libel, starring Ronald Coleman all about an amnesiac soldier who may or may not be a murderer and stands trial to find out. Remember? Well, you're either nodding or you're not. I'll assume you're nodding. Well, in 1959, years after the radio version was produced, they went and made a movie of it. And who do you think starred in it? Dirk Bogard, yes, but who else? Wilfred Hyde-White, yes, and Richard Wattis, and Anthony Dawson, and Robert Morley, and yes, 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 of course, Olivia de Havilland did as well. Here is a clip. You can't blame him, darling. It was just bad luck. How could he know? Know what? That you can't always remember the things that happened to you before the war. What should I have done? Tell the whole country in general that the war changed my life? So, as I said, this is the tale of Sir Mark Lodden 
an English aristocrat suffering from chronic amnesia who was approached one evening by Geoffrey Buckingham, a former soldier who demands money in return for keeping Loddon's secret. Loddon, though, has no idea what Buckingham is talking about and is shocked to find out that Buckingham believes that Loddon is not Loddon, but Frank Welney, a man who served with both men back in the war. Hello, Frank. What did you say? Your name? Just her name, Frank Welney. I'm the, uh, the one with the bad memory. My name is Mark. Don't you remember? I remember. That's the trouble. I remember that hand. I remember your theme song. What are you talking about? According to Buckingham, Welney murdered the real Sir Mark Loddon and took his place in society. Well, Buckingham is sent packing and takes his story to a newspaper who print it without hesitation. The only way that Sir Mark can clear his name is to sue both Buckingham and the newspaper for libel, and so begins a tense courtroom battle where Loddon must fight to remember what really happened in his past. But as the case progresses and as memories begin to return, it seems that there may be more to Sir Mark's past than he's letting on. That is, if he really is Sir Mark Loddon. I suggest that ever since April 1945, you've indulged in the unscrupulous pretense of being an English baronet. That's a stupid lie. And most unscrupulous pretense of all, of being entitled to woo and marry your wife. You won't make me lose my temper as easily as that, Mr. Foxley. We shall see. I absolutely love this story. Courtroom films have to have a sense of pounding mystery behind them every time to make them compelling, and this one really delivers. You do spend the entire film wondering if you should be taking this man's side, because for every small victory he has in court, the prosecution have two. It isn't long before the clouds of doubt are beginning to swirl, even on Loddon's side of the court. His wife, Margaret, who is of course played here by Olivia de Havilland, is absolutely wonderful here. There's a moment towards the close of the story that will truly bring a lump to your throat as she screams out in court to reassure her husband that she believes in him. The thing is, she has every reason not to, because even we, the viewer, are completely torn. If I'm being honest, I do prefer the Ronald Coleman radio play version of this story, simply for the fact that it's slightly more economical in its storytelling. The film here runs for 100 minutes, and by the end of the second act, you're kind of willing them towards the larger revelations in the story. However, it is a very, very good film, and a superlative example of Mr. Havilland's later career. Do check it out. Lastly, a film I'd never seen before. 1937's Call It A Day. Okay, so how about this for an attractive package? Olivia de Havilland starring alongside Ian Hunter, Frida Innescourt, Anita Louise, Alice Brady, Una O'Connor, the Queen of the Shrieking Banshees, Bonita Granville, and the one and only Roland Young in a seriously funny romantic comedy written by Dodie Smith, the author of 101 Dalmatians. That was me dropping the mic, because you cannot seriously sit there and tell me that you're not at least interested by the sound of that particular concoction. 
The film opens on the first day of spring in the household of the Hilton family in jolly old England, a dysfunctional gang of dreamers who all fall in and out of love and lust as the primal urges of spring sweep across the land. Roger? Roger! Wake up! You'd better shake him, Vera. Who? Me? Yeah. Really, madam? Well, someone always has to, and I hate getting out of bed until I've had my tea. Oh, go on, go on. No, no, harder than that. Shall I get a cold sponge, madam? No, another shake will do it. Hello, who are you? I'm Vera, sir. I, I hope I didn't shake too hard. No, your technique's different from our last maid. Short and sharp instead of slow and steady. I I'll try to be steadier tomorrow, sir. Right. Oh, don't let him lie down again. It makes him bad-tempered. Mother, Frida Innescourt, is wooed by stuffy little Roland Young, while her husband, Ian Hunter, is ensnared by seductive Marsha Ralston. Daughter Olivia de Havilland is smitten with the artist painting her picture, but he's doggedly devoted to his long-suffering wife, while the son of the family finds love with the next-door neighbour, played by Anita Louise. Plot-wise, there isn't really much more to go on than that, but this is one of those films that doesn't really succeed on its plot. It succeeds more on the unbelievable levels of charm just oozing from the characters and from the quite wonderful dialogue that swirls around them all. Well, I'm hanged. There's Kath sitting at the bathroom window. Well, what's she doing? Nothing whatever, just sitting, looking completely blah. Hi there. Come out of it, you silly-looking hag. Oh, my goodness, the vision next door thinks I mean her. She's glaring up here like old boots. Well, that's what you get for shouting out of windows. You're just as bad as your father. Such a funny movie, and one that skids around from character to character without so much as a seatbelt on. A seriously fast-moving film, rather along the lines of His Girl Friday, it never seems to pause for breath. How refreshing, too, to see such oddball characters playing romantic leads. Who'd have thought you'd get little Roland Young trying to sweep massive Frida Innescourt off her feet? And the whole Olivia de Havilland story where she's in love with the artist is really nicely played. The artist's wife just seems to roll her eyes as yet another girl falls head over heels for him. You get the feeling that there's a lot of backstory to that relationship. Anyway, a very frothy, very light film, lifted considerably by the actors and bathed in a golden Hollywood glow of sophisticated scrumptiousness. Do look out for it. Well, for radio entertainment this week, I thought I'd whisk you off to the audience of the Screen Director's Playhouse for their excellent adaptation of The Dark Mirror. So let's adjourn there immediately for half an hour of thrills and suspense, starring the one and only Miss Olivia de Havilland. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television, proudly presents... Screen Director's Playhouse, star Miss Olivia de Havilland, production The Dark Mirror, director Robert Siodmak. The Hollywood Screen Directors present a reflection on murder, the motion picture drama The Dark Mirror, starring Academy Award winner Miss Olivia de Havilland. Tonight, Miss de Havilland recreates her original dual role in the film, 
as she plays the twin parts of Ruth and Terry. In a fashionable Fifth Avenue apartment, Dr. Frank Peralta was murdered. Stabbed in the back. The only evidence of disorder was a shattered mirror. Arrested on suspicion of murder was Miss Terry Collins, Dr. Peralta's fiancée, and her identical twin sister, Ruth. Mr. District Attorney, we've been at this questioning for hours and getting nowhere. Now, look, identical twins, which one of you girls was with Dr. Peralta last night? One of us spent the evening at Jefferson Park, and the other... Never mind. How about you, sister? One of us stayed home. Uh, but which one did which is what I'm asking you. Which one did which? One of us. That's what I've been hearing for hours. One of us spent the evening at Jefferson Park, and one of us stayed home. Dr. Elliot, you're a psychologist and authority on the subject of identical twins, and you're personally acquainted with these girls, and I'll hold like it, Lieutenant Stevenson. I knew these girls one at a time. And they were working at the newspaper counter in my office building. I didn't know they were twins. Dr. Elliot, you knew Dr. Peralta and had conversation with him the day he was murdered. He asked you if you ever came across a case of split personality and whether it was dangerous. All right? Clarify that. I told him I couldn't say that he had to cite a specific case. Then he said I had a battle with her this morning and I'm seeing her tonight. Seeing who tonight? Miss Collins, I suppose. Which one? I haven't the faintest idea. Uh, where do we go from here, Mr. District Attorney? Nowhere. You haven't a witness that can tell one girl from the other. I wouldn't have a chance in court. Young ladies, one of you is a murderess. You've killed a man in cold blood. The other is an accomplice. But the law forbids the indiscriminate prosecution of more than one person in order to make sure of one guilty one. I have no words adequate to express my contempt for both of you. Now get out. We're free? You're free. Goodbye, Lieutenant. Au revoir, Miss Collins. All right, sit down, Doc. I'm a peculiar guy. I don't like the perfect crime, not even in books. So? You're a twin expert. Do you know anything, whatever, about these two dames that would give me a chance to begin work? Oh, sure. The crime. You don't just suppose anyone could commit a murder, do Look, you? Look, you're going to have to be very patient with me. Uh, just what do you mean by that? A character, personality. Not even nature can duplicate character. Even in twins. One of the Collins girls could... And one couldn't commit murder. That's all there is to it. Doc, do you often interview twins? Often. But not for the police. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you like one of those girls. Now, suppose she's innocent, living with a killer. And one of them killed once with a knife. Don't you think there's a chance she'll kill again? Her sister, if she ever became nervous about her? There's no doubt about it. I'll never ask you the name or proof. It's out of the question, Lieutenant. I'm not a detective. Besides, I didn't say I was in love with the girl. I simply said I like her. But how do I know she wasn't the one who did it? Come in. Hi, 
Hiya, Doc. Glad to see you. I'm Terry. That's Ruth. That simplifies things immeasurably. Thank you. It's been two weeks since we've seen you, Doctor. And surely you've seen the papers. We're celebrities now. And out of a job, too, I gather, Terry. And I don't know who'll hire us either after what the district attorney said. That's exactly why I'm here. You know, I'm an old twin collector, and I'm going to add you two to my collection. $25 a week apiece, and you appear in my laboratory three times a week for an hour. For science. What do you say, Ruth? I don't think we're interested. I don't like the idea of being a guinea pig. I don't want to press you, but if you're afraid... We have nothing to be afraid of, Doctor. Nothing but snoopers. Well, in that case, there's nothing more to be said. Ruth, I think we should do it. I don't think Dr. Elliot's a snooper, and we could certainly use the money. You don't mind being asked a lot of personal questions? Why should I, or why should you? We have nothing to fear. And we've always liked Dr. Elliot. Both of us. Ruth, I hope you can see things Terry's way. But if you can't, I'll understand and no harm done. Goodbye now. Ruth, what's the matter with you? You think that was very wise? Why? What are you afraid of? I'm not afraid. There's... Don't lie about it, Ruth. You are afraid. You're more and more afraid every day. Why? Terry, you know very well what it is. You think I killed him. Why don't you admit it? But I don't. You know I don't. Then why are you so frightened? Oh, Terry, if they knew which one of us was in Dr. Peralta's apartment that night, you know what that would mean. He proposed to me there, and I said yes. Why should I kill him? I know that, dear. I know you didn't do it. I know it so well that I'm willing to do anything to keep them from learning you were in his apartment that night. That's the only reason I'm frightened. Believe me, dear. Please believe me. Well, then, is there anything about yourself that you're afraid for Elliot to learn? Oh, of course not. Well, then, stop worrying. There's no need for it. And besides, he's very good-looking. I like him. After all the tests we've made in this laboratory, Terry, I believe I can tell you and Ruth apart. Well, you're the first one who ever could. <laughs> who do you like best? Ruth or... Naturally you, Terry. Let's get down to business again. Now, these are pictures of ink blots. Just blobs of ink and the paper folded over. Tell me what you see in the blots. Why? That's just another way of examining personality. Hmm. This blot looks like a lamb. Under its front paws are two men, face down, with their arms outstretched. It all seems symbolic of something. The lamb looks so innocent, but it has two men under its paws. Symbolic of what? The lamb of death. Now, what does this blot represent to you, Ruth? Well, I see a drum majorette with a high bearskin shako. She's very graceful and light-footed. Mm. Your mind runs toward pleasantry. You know, you were telling me you always leaned on Terry. Yes. All my life, Terry's been like an older sister to me, always helping and protecting me. I remember once when I was about 16, I was crazy about a boy, Freddie Eklund, but Terry simply couldn't stand him. 
She said he wasn't on the level, and that's the way it turned out. He wasn't. Now, how'd you find out? He dated Terry one night, and she told me. Oh, but that's kid stuff. Let's try another experiment, Ruth. I'm going to give you some words. As soon as you hear the word, you answer with the first word that comes to your mind, you see? Mm-hmm. Table. Um, chair. Lamp. Shade. Dark. Night. Mirror. Death. But Ruth, how could you have said it? When he said mirror and you said death, it proved you were scared. I didn't know. It just popped out. I don't understand. But I do. I understand some of that mumbo-jumbo. And it's a dead giveaway that it's still in your mind and that I had something to do with it. I'm not afraid of him. I can do that stuff 24 hours a day and beat him at it every time. It's you I'm worried about. But Terry, I think you're wrong about Scott Elliott. He isn't trying to use me. He's pretty grand, you know. You're falling in love with him, aren't you, Ruth? Oh, you keep saying that to me all the time. Of course not. Well, don't. Moon. Fiends. White. Black. King. Queen. Death. Mirror. How is my character development, Doctor? Very interesting, my dear Terry. Perhaps you've read my mind well enough to know that I might like seeing you. That's a mighty fine invitation. We'll have to wait until we finished our tests. All right. But the first night afterward, it's a date. You won't forget. Cross my heart. Goodbye now. Detective Lieutenant Stevenson, please. Hello. Uh, Scott Elliott, Lieutenant. I have some news for you. One of our young ladies is insane. Very clever, very intelligent, but insane. You have been listening to Act One of The Dark Mirror, starring Miss Olivia de Havilland and presented by RCA Victor. Nowadays, the most popular American sport next to baseball is the television boasting contest. Well, when you own RCA Victor's superb new 16-inch console, the TC-167, you'll win all such contests hands down. For this magnificent set is a champion on count after count. It's aristocratic cabinet. It's built-in antenna. It's phonojack for attaining, attaching any record player. It's glorious RCA Victor golden throat tone. As for the giant 16-inch pictures, they're RCA Victor's finest, which means the world's finest. When you unveil this RCA Victor champion to your awestruck neighbors and accidentally tell them the price, they'll think you're an investment wizard. For the suggested list price of the TC-167, slightly higher in some locations, is only $399.95 plus federal tax. And the returns on that investment... Daily entertainment through years of that matchless performance synonymous with RCA Victor Television. America's first, America's finest, America's favorite. Now, 
back to the Screen Director's Playhouse production of The Dark Mirror, starring Miss Olivia de Havilland in her original twin roles of Ruth and Terry with David Ellis as Scott Elliott. spend the evening with Dr. Elliot? What? Yes. I warned you to stay away from him. He's trying to pump you. Oh, I'm sorry, but I can't help but think he's pretty trustworthy. Ruth, it's getting late. Why don't you go to bed, darling? Wake up, Ruth. I said, wake up. Wake up. What? What? What's the matter? What's the matter? You were sobbing hysterically. It was pretty harrowing for a few minutes. Oh. Oh, you must be mistaken, Carrie. Tonight wasn't the first time. It happened last night and the night before that. <gasps> don't you want to know what seems to be frightening you? Oh, I don't know whether I do or not. You keep repeating it over and over in your sleep. You're worried about one of us being crazy. Oh, oh this is awful. It frightens me. The whole idea of talking and dreaming and sobbing and remembering nothing about it. Well, it can't be very pleasant. But it's really not so important. Just bad dreams. Oh, I... I don't know what to say. I... The night before last, you jumped out of bed screaming someone was putting the lights on and off. <laughs> Darling, the lights were never on. Oh, something's happening to me, and I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. I'm worried about you, Ruth. I must watch you more closely before something dreadful happens to you. Oh, I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. There, there. Just remember I'm with you. And I'm always going to be with you. No matter what happens. Well, Terry, this is one of your last tests. At the end of the week, I shall be forced to fire you. In other words, I can look forward to a date with you Saturday night? I'm afraid I can't make it. Who's my rival? You have no rival. Come on. Let's get on with the lie detector experiment. Hmm? You can ask me anything you wish. I have nothing to fear. I know that. You ready? Ready. Now, Ruth was telling me about a boy you knew in Ohio with whom she was in love and you didn't care very much for. Oh, Freddie Eklund. Why? What did she say? Well, she just said you told her he wasn't on the level and proved it. Was she complaining? Oh, good heavens, no. She looks upon you as her big sister. Did she tell you that I knew him first? No, I don't believe she did. Well, that's the truth of the matter. I met him first and introduced him to her. And he didn't care in the slightest for her, and I knew it. And then he started going around with her, without her even dreaming for one second that it was actually me that he was interested in. Now I know the answer. 
Lieutenant Stevenson, I invited you to my apartment to tell you positively that Ruth didn't do it. She isn't capable of murder. Well, that does narrow it down a bit. Terry's a paranoiac. A paranoiac has no more conscience, no more sense of right or wrong than, than a two-year-old. A paranoiac is capable of doing anything. Of killing her sister, Ruth? Yes. We must do something to protect her. All right. Get hold of Ruth right away and break the news to her. No matter how hard it is. All right, I will. And watch out for yourself, or you'll be the new Dr. Peralta. Well, I don't figure very seriously in her calculations. She didn't mind those tests. They were just another challenge to her. Another opportunity to show the world what contempt she has for it. I still say, be careful, Doc, and tell Ruth right away. Hello, Ruth. Hello, Scott. How are you, dear? Ruth, are you alone? Yes. Why? Well, I don't want Terry to know. But I want you to come to my apartment as soon as possible. It's vitally important. I'll be right over. Scott. What? Ruth, but I just talked to you. What? Never mind, I'm glad you're here. I saw the light in your apartment. I've been walking, and I thought... Why, you're pale, darling. You look as if you've seen a ghost. Something like that. Hallucinations. What causes hallucinations? Hallucinations? Things you imagine you see or hear. Oh, bad nerves. Just nerves. Or a sick mind. Yes, a sick mind. Ruth, there's something I must tell you, but you're too emotionally upset to hear it now. Darling, please, go straight home and relax. I have some urgent business in the next minutes. Everything's going to be all right. I love you very much. I'll be all right. Goodbye, Scott. Lieutenant Stevenson, please. Lieutenant, Terry Collins will be in my apartment in the next few minutes, pretending to be Ruth Collins. I don't have time to explain. All I know is that I'm going to play the role of a human booby trap. Stick by your telephone. Ruth, it's not an easy thing to tell you, but I feel that I should. Terry's not well. She's sick inside. And she needs your help. Sick? How? She's paranoid. She's twisted inside. That's absurd. I called you tonight because I want you to talk to her, Terry. I want you as the nearest and dearest to her to persuade her to go to her doctor and put herself in his care. And if I refuse to insult her with such incredible rot? But you mustn't. I can't tell you how important it is that she get this care immediately, Ruth. And if Ruth refuses? If you refuse, Terry. And you are Terry. I'm afraid I'll have to tell who killed Frank Peralta and why. There's nothing you'll be able to do about it. Whatever you guess. I'll remind you anyway. You killed Peralta because the same thing happened to you that has always happened to you before. Remember Freddie Eklund, the boy Ruth loved, who didn't want any part of you? 
Well, Dr. Peralta was in love with Ruth without even knowing she existed. How interesting. He romanced you and finally asked you to marry him. He didn't know there were twins. All he knew was that every now and then the girl at the newspaper counter brought him a warmth that he missed at other times. And that's what puzzled him. That's why he asked me about a split personality. You weren't aware of this until that night in the apartment when he spoke of this curious difference from time to time. Then you knew what had happened again. It was Ruth he was in love with, not you. So you made sure that if you couldn't have his love, neither should Ruth. Who else have you told this to? Nobody else so far. Terry, I implore you to go to your doctor and be guided. There's no necessity for that. There's nothing you can do about it. You're wasting your time. But haven't you forgotten Ruth? No. No one would take seriously the word of a girl who suffers from hallucinations. Or hasn't she told you? Just a minute. What do you mean by that? Oh, excuse me. I must kill him. Hello? Oh, yes, Lieutenant Stevenson. I've got to kill him. I'll stab right, him with these scissors. I'll be right over. Terry. Ruth's dead. She's killed herself. Does that surprise you? I'm sorry, Doc. The body's inside that room with the medical examiner. Go on in. Can you tell me what happened, Lieutenant? An overdose of sleeping pills. Why'd she do it? Her conscience. But she's free now, poor darling. And I have a right to some peace, too. Come on now. Make a clean breast of it. You'll feel better. She killed him. She was twisted inside. Scott told me tonight. You mean Ruth? No, Terry. I'm Ruth. She was sick inside with jealousy. That's why she killed him, Scott says. Wait a minute. Can't get away with it. You're Terry. Now, Scott, I thought you said you could tell us apart. Well, the test showed only what I've known for a long time, that she hated me, hated me from the bottom of her heart, because men found it easy enough to like me, but not her. The mirror. The mirror! I see Ruth there, in the mirror! I'm sorry, Terry. She's not dead! Put down that vase, Terry. All right, Sergeant. Take her to headquarters. Somebody do something for me! Now, Terry, now. Save me! Take it easy now. Save me! Terry, Terry! Save me! I'm not at all surprised that she smashed the mirror. I'm sorry I had to fake Ruth's death, Doc, but well, it was the only way I could get Terry to open up. Under the circumstances, Lieutenant, I forgive you. Scott, was the mirror me? The reflection was. That's what twins are, you know. Reflections of each other. Everything in reverse. What are they going to do with Terry? Don't worry, darling. She'll get the best that modern psychiatry can offer. Someday, who knows? Someday, Scott. There will be a someday for Terry. I know it. I know it. We'll be waiting for her, darling. You and I.
And that was the always entertaining Screen Director's Playhouse and their adaptation of The Dark Mirror, starring this week's special guest, Olivia de Havilland. Well, thank you so much for joining me for the show. That's it from me. I shall be with you again soon. If you'd like more of these shows, by the way, you can sign up to be a patron where you'll find a whole rack of bonus shows all ready for you to download. To become a patron, keep listening until the end of this show or follow the link in the show notes. Well, until we speak again then, take very good care of yourselves and bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.